come to hear from the Lord and not from Pastor Sal. We come to sing to the Lord and give Him applause and, and thank Him for all He's done up to this point in our life. And uh, most importantly, what He's done for us eternally in heaven. Um, so let's open up our Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians, we're starting. We started last week, gave you an introduction, a brief introduction of Colossians. I went through a lot of information last week, and I'm hoping that I didn't lose you much. Uh, you know, there were a lot of terms that I've given you, and I'm going to repeat those terms. I'm going to repeat the, the history of the, the book of Colossians and where it was at. I'll, I'll talk some more about that. And I'll, and I'll try to break it down in such a way that you can take home with you so you can see these words, because some of these things that we're going to talk about are important in your theology and in your doctrine of what the Word of God says uh, for you. Because as we said last week, right doctrine uh, should produce right behavior. See, bad doctrine will produce, of course, bad behavior. We, we want to recognize Jesus Christ as high and lifted up. We want to recognize the, that God is high and holy. We recognize that man is sinful. We recognize that His Word is sufficient. We recognize that His church is to gather and to worship Jesus Christ, to encourage one another, and to build one another up in training and righteousness. So we recognize those things as the church, and we want to uh, base that all upon God's Word. We want to see God's Word, and we want to apply it to our life. And, you know, it's interesting that <clears throat> this month, I think it was last week or so, um, William, William Tyndale's um, uh, Death of execution back in 19, excuse me, 1536, I believe. He was only like 42 years old. And he was the first person to take the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and translate it into English. Martin Luther had already done that in German. Yet there weren't too many German. There were more English speaking people. So William Tyndale, what he did is he took the translate, he took the manuscripts and he translated them in English as best as he could. And, you know, you would think that he would get an applause for that. Well, thank you. I mean, now we can read the word for ourselves because back then the church had total monopoly on God's word. And they would tell you what the word says. And uh, unfortunately for uh, William Tyndall, he was captured, he was strangled, and he was burnt at the stake for translating the English Bible, first and foremost. King James came later in 1611. But uh, from that point forward, it was just this anger and this this all this going hatred toward people that wanted to get away from the teaching of the church the church had this this hold on people because well the people didn't know the word and martin luther he was not trying to start another church he was not trying to start anything but try to get the church back in the line as to what needs to take place according to god's word and so it is by grace that you're saved through faith, not by works, not by prayers, not by giving, not by alms, not by anything else. No indulgences can get you out of hell. Once a person dies, that's it. Judgment comes is what the Word of God says. Now, Martin Luther was a, a faithful monk. He loved Jesus Christ. He loved God's Word. But the more that he dove into God's Word, the more he understood it, he was if you read the history on Martin Luther, he was really literally known as a crazy man because he was going back and forth. I says, you know, this is what it's saying. He'd walk down the streets and, and he would be talking to himself. This is what they're teaching me, but this is what the Word of God says. This is what I've learned, but this is what the Word of God says. And he says, you know what, for me, sola scriptura. I'm just going to live my life according to what the Scripture says. And he didn't go out trying to start anything, but just to get right back to where God's Word was at. And unfortunately for him as well, uh, death threats were given to him and he escaped. His friend that helped him into formulating, Melanchthon, into formulating all this 
uh, all, all this theology that he started to come out with from Scripture. They called him and they says, uh, you know, why don't you come forward and show us what you have? Let's have a debate. Let's have this forum. Uh, why don't you come and, and we'll have this council. Council of Verm, it was what it was called, and they, they brought all these people together, and he showed up, and the very first thing they did is they arrested him and executed him right there on the spot. So then they called Martin Luther, hey, why don't you come and share with us what you've learned? He says, no, I think, I think I'm okay. I'm good where I'm at. It was never, ever about the person. It was always about God's word. And I share this with you because as we're coming into Reformation Day, the Reformation took place, and it reformed what the church was into what it needs to be. Founded on God's word. And everything that we're going to be going through in the book of Colossians is exactly what we need to hear as far as the, the church of today. The church of today had splintered off into so many different factions in so many different ways. But the church of today needs to be founded on God's word. And we need to preach and teach according to God's word. And there are some things that we're going to go over that really, you know, are going to be uncomfortable for some of you, but it's God's word. And when the Bible says what we ought to do and what we shouldn't do, it is God's word. And so here we believe that the God, God's word is a closed canon. It's authoritative and it's sufficient. And that's all we need. This is all we need. We don't need outside revelation. We don't need somebody else coming in and telling us with all these dreams and visions and things that they see. Paul will address that as well. He says, don't be caught up with all these soothsayers and these seers, these visionaries, according to what they may seem to have happened. Now, we talked a little bit about Gnosticism last week, and I'll touch a little bit more about that in the, in the days to come, the weeks to come. And I'll give you a better definition so you can take home and you can read it as well. But today, we want to talk about the gospel message, why all of this matters. The reason you're here today is because of the gospel message. And the gospel message is what stands out above everything. This was Paul's passion. This was Jesus' passion. Jesus came forth and he says, I want you to repent and believe the gospel. John the Baptist says, repent and follow the gospel. Jesus, uh, Peter said, repent and, and give your life and, and repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Why Jesus Christ? Because he's the one that fulfilled the gospel. The gospel message. I'm going to read to you from Colossians chapter 1 through 8. And then we're going to come back. We're going to have a word of prayer. And then we're going to come back and we are going to go over the, the notes that you have with you today as well as uh, any other information that I'll be giving you today. But let's just bow our heads. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Let me read this first, then we'll bow our heads. And uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the English Standard Translation, in English Standard Version, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Coloss, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it always does among you, since the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Father in heaven, we want to thank you once again for your word that has been preserved, for the many dedicated hours and the lives that were, that, that, uh, were invested in holding and keeping your word. 
And Father, it's coming to a day when pretty soon this word is going to be uh, outlawed as well. And many of us are going to be forced to make a stand. Are we going to follow the world? Are we going to follow your word? And people like Tyndale and Luther and Melanchthon and many others, Lord, Calvin, that gave their life. Not because they wanted any attention. Not to make book deals. But they gave their life, first and foremost, to Jesus Christ. And Father, we want to do the same thing. And I pray that you can hold us firm as we learn the truths out of Colossians and the rest of the scriptures and what it says. So Father, thank you once again. As we move forward, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Right away, we notice that this is a letter to the people in Colossians, to Coloss. And we also recognize and we see that this is from Paul, who is an apostle. An apostle was a selected people from Jesus Christ's time, from the day of Jesus Christ. There are criteria for apostles. Apostles are not... um, Well, you know, apostles don't exist in today's church. I know there's a lot of self-proclaimed apostles, but apostles have a very specific and unique function and 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 ability. Apostles were the foundation, and we've gone over this quite a few times. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, you'll see that the truth, the church, is built upon the apostles and the prophets as Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. There's only one foundation. There's only one cornerstone. There's only one foundation, and everything else has been built on top of that. An apostle's credentials were uh, were verified by their participation in Jesus Christ. They had to be witnesses from the beginning of Jesus' ministry to the end of his, uh, his ministry, to the point of his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. They had to be appointed by God himself. When Judas hung himself, they prayed and asked God, okay, Lord, we need to fill this spot. And so they cast lots because at that time, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given to give men discernment and to give men the conviction of what it is that they need to do. We don't cast lots anymore. We depend on the Holy Spirit's guidance through his word. His word has been given to us, and this is where we find our guidance. They picked Matthias, a faithful man. And so these are the apostles that were laid out, and Paul was called later on. He had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and he was also called an apostle. So in order to verify his function, in order to verify who he was, he had to claim, okay, Jesus Christ, he has met me. I met him, and he's given me these words, and here's what I'm sharing with you. So this is what Paul is getting across. He says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus by the will of God, not my will. I was minding my own business. I'm going to Damascus to do God's will, I thought. I'm going there to persecute these people of the way, these people that are lifting up this guy named Jesus that we crucified. You know, I I was just minding my own business. I, I didn't want anything to do with those people. But yet, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, knocked him down, blinded him for three days. And Saul was his name. He was a Pharisee. He was a a top-notch man. He was an educated man. He had everything that the world could ever give to him. He had power. He had prestige. He had possessions. He was next in line to be one of the high priests. And he threw it all away for Jesus Christ. For this encounter that he had, this encounter that knocked him down, he had a genuine encounter with Christ. You cannot stay the same when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ. You can't. You cannot hold on to the world and all those things, as Paul would say, they were rubbish to him. All those possessions and things. By the world standard, he was a failure because he had nothing. 
His family left him. We hear nothing of his wife, his children. We hear nothing of anybody else or anything else except Jesus Christ, him crucified. That was his message. He had a passion to tell people, you're going to die and you're going to go to hell if you do not receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And this was his passion as Martin Luther and as Tyndale and all these people that wanted to share the gospel message. The good news, well, he goes on to say, uh, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ. Now, I want you to see something very, very peculiar here, okay? Because there's a lot of gender identity going on right now. And some people say that this is a, a, male, a male chauvinistic book because it talks about men. It talks, you know, the men only brothers. But I, I want you to see something here. This is an all-inclusive book. Always has been, always will be. It has nothing to do with male chauvinism. You know, they, they take one verse, the world takes one verse, wives submit to your husbands, and throw the whole book away. Ah, oh, I'm not going to, you see? There it is. You know, the, God wants men to put their feet on women's neck and control them and do what they want. If you knew the scriptures, every time the Bible talks about a woman, she's always elevated. Eve, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, on and on and on. Even Rahab, the prostitute. Even Bathsheba that had an affair with David. They're all elevated. Their sin is shown, but they're all elevated. Mary of Magdalene, the woman that had all these spirits inside of her. She was written about kindly. Yes, she had a history. Every woman in the Bible is always lifted up, never torn down, except for one, Jezebel. Jezebel was the wicked queen of a wicked king. And in the book of Revelation, she's the only pastor or leader of a church. And Paul, excuse me, Jesus calls her the spirit of Jezebel. You know, that Jezebel that's leading all you guys astray. So in, uh, in, apart from that, the Bible always elevates. Jesus was the only one at that time in his day to have women disciples. He would disciple them and teach them along with everyone else. I don't know if you remember the story of Jesus Christ when he walks into, um, he's, he's at the, the house of Lazarus, the person that he had resurrected from the dead, and Lazarus' sisters were there, Mary and Martha. And Mary, uh, you know, was so enthralled and just listening to what Jesus was saying. But Martha was busy and cooking and, and she was throwing pots and pans and looking at Mary just sitting there. And, and then finally Jesus looks over to her, Martha, what's the matter? Well, tell my sister to help me. I'm sitting here trying to cook for all you guys. Well, that's not what she said, but basically is what she was saying. I'm busy doing all these work. And yet Mary is just sitting there. And Jesus says to her, calm down, Martha. <laughs> Mary has chosen what is best and beneficial you are hurried and busy and letting the world take you by storm sit down jesus was concerned for the marys and all the, and the there was plenty of them so so when you look at the word of god you got to remember that the word of god elevates women jesus included them there's no male or female yet however in all, our culture it wants to divide everything and everyone including male and female let me show you something here real quick that wasn't too quick, but I said that earlier. But <laughs> Paul says, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. He's my brother. He's my male companionship. He's a man that I have been fellowshipping with for some time, and he is my male brother. And then he says, to the saints and faithful brothers. See how it's pluralized? It's Adolfoi for brother. It's Adolfos. For brethren, and this brethren includes everyone. You will hear me address you, brethren. 
you will hear me address you as brethren. And I just want you to know that I am including the sisters as well. The Bible didn't need to make a distinction between men and women, boys and girls. Didn't have to. Because it always included when it said the brethren, everyone, the brothers. So as you understand more and more what the Bible is saying and how it it treats all of us as equal, because we are all equal. We all have different roles and responsibilities. And when we get into Colossians chapter 4, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Actually, the end of chapter 3 and 4. We'll talk about that some more. But he says here, he goes on to say, to the, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Coloss. So now we know it's from Paul, who's an apostle that met Jesus Christ, to the people in Coloss, in Christ Jesus. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Number one, the gospel, in your outlines, is good news. The gospel is good news to believers. Paul says, I always thank God. Every time I pray for you and every time I remember you, I pray for you. I thank you. I I pray for you because you heard the good news. The gospel message comes from the Greek word evangelion. Evangelion is, uh, is basically good news, gospel. And it was a word that was used in the kingdom when they would share the good news that the king has defeated the enemy. The good news that the king now has the uh, has a, a male heir. The good news of whatever the taxes are going to be cut in half. The good news, he, he, they would say evangelion. That's how they would pronounce it. And we, we get our word uh, evangelism out of this word. But we also get another word that some of you probably have heard, which is eulogy. Eulogy comes from sharing some good information, some good news about the person that has just passed away. So good news is was a common term, but Jesus Christ took it and he says, this is the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And, and it's always been in, in several places. It says scripture describes the gospel with several phrases like, for instance, in Acts, I mean, you don't need to know, the, the write, you can write these down if you want for later, but I don't have any information for you except for what I'm going to share. But in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he call, it's, it is called the gospel of the grace of God. In Romans 1, 9, it says that it is the gospel of his son. In 1 Corinthians 9, 12, it is the gospel of Christ. In Romans 15, 16, it refers to it as the gospel of God. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it characterizes as the gospel of the glory of Christ. Ephesians 6, 15, as the gospel of peace. And in Revelation 14, 6, the eternal gospel. The gospel is also described as the word of truth. Now in your outlines in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The gospel is the good news. The gospel message is good news and you cannot receive good news until you know what the bad news is. The the kingdom was under attack. The kingdom was coming under attack by forces of military forces of all sorts. And then this kingdom rose up and defeated the enemy. And the good news is that we have won, people. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We won. And in, in order to understand the good news, you got to understand the bad news. And the bad news is this, is that God is holy. You say, wait a minute, how's that bad news? 
Yeah, I know God is holy. God is superior. God is perfect. God is pure. God is above all. God transcends everything. And God cannot look upon sin. That's the bad news. Because I'm a sinner. I was born in sin. I have lived in sin. And sin still runs through this mortal body until the day that I'm lifted up out of here. I struggle with sin every day. Now, fortunately and thankfully for Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that I've learned how to deal with it and how to push it aside, push it aside. I still sin. I do. And I don't revel in it. I don't like it. I don't say, well, it's okay. I'm just a work in progress. I hate it. And it should cause you some angst and some anger and some disgust at the fact that you fell into that again. And I don't ever want to do that again. And if I find myself liking that sin, there's something wrong. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that that is is convicting you. The Bible says that Jesus Christ told us when he sends the comforter, his responsibility is to convict the world of sin. See, I've had people come up and tell me, says, Pastor, you preach a whole negative message. Well, what do you mean? Every time I come here, I feel all convicted. Well, good, because the Holy Spirit is doing his job. All I have to do is give you the word and the Holy Spirit does his job. That's how we recognize that the Holy Spirit is here. And so, Please, don't ever be offended or think you're going to offend me by saying, you know, Pastor, that was a very offensive message. As a matter of fact, I appreciate that. When you tell me, oh, Pastor, that was a good message, it made me feel really good. Then I'm thinking, okay, there's something not right here. You know, because that's, my intention is to give you instruction, God's word. And uh, and if I haven't offended you yet, uh, don't worry, I'm an equal, equal opportunist. I'll offend you eventually. God's word is offensive. And it's unfortunate for those that want to be offended and feel offended. They want to feel good. They want to feel okay with their sin. They want to feel, you know, God's God's not going to judge me because, well, wait a minute. God is the judge. He is the one that's going to judge you. My responsibility is to tell you, stop. You're going to run off that cliff. And you're driving at 90 miles an hour. You look back and say, who are you to judge? Who are you to tell me what to do? This is my life. This is my car. I drive it anywhere I want. Beloved, we love you, and we want to share the gospel message with you. The gospel message is not my testimony. The gospel message is not feeding the homeless. The gospel message is not singing songs. The gospel message is not that God has a plan for you, even though that's true. And he does want you to feed the homeless, and he does want you to sing songs to him. But that is not the gospel message. The gospel message is that Jesus Christ died for you. Uh, on the screen, you'll see 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, chapter 15, 1 through 5. Now, he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. See, Paul is laying it out here. I mean, if you just believed and thought, okay, maybe this will help me. What can it do for me? How can it, how can it help me? You know, and people come to church a lot of times to see, okay, what can God do for me? And they don't necessarily want to hear the bad news. They just want to hear the good news. I'm going to heaven. I'm doing okay. I'm all right. I'm a work in progress. As I said last week, that's not an excuse to live your life recklessly and thumb your nose at God. To live the way you want to live thinking, okay, well, God's going to forgive me. And this is why Paul says, the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. Now, one of the things that we have to remember, and this is why I say that Jesus, that Paul had an encounter with Jesus. First Corinthians is thought by many 
the first letter that he wrote out to the churches. Okay, after his conversion, this is, and after his visits, this is his first letter. And if this is true, his first letter, he was in the wilderness, he was in the desert for three years, and he was being schooled by Jesus Christ. And if that's true, then what Paul is saying here, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, what he's telling us here is, is I received this from Jesus Christ because he didn't know Jesus. Remember this. He didn't know him the way Peter, John, and all the apostles knew him. He knew him after the fact. And he was persecuting those that followed this way. And so to say that he received this from Jesus tells us that he had this encounter with Jesus and he loved Jesus and he recognized the sin and he repented from his sin and he turned and became a whole different person. And he says this, as a first importance, I also receive that Christ died for our sins and according with the scriptures. There is something there that we need to recognize. This gospel message that Paul was preaching was talked about by the prophets, by Moses, by Elijah, by Isaiah. And talked about this Christ that was going to come to save the world and establish his kingdom. And it was only Isaiah, actually there were a few other people, uh, the Psalms also did, Psalm 22 did the same thing, pictured the suffering servant and how he was going to die and how he was going to be treated. But the Israelites didn't want anything to do with that part. They kind of just overlooked that and they said, we want the king, we want the, we want the kingdom, we want the keys, we want the world, we want it all. And the reason they rejected Jesus Christ is because he was just a carpenter. You know, he, he was, he was homeless. You know, he hung out with those prostitutes and sinners and tax. That's not our king. Our king's going to come in on a white horse and, and, a, and a sword, which he is. But they thought it was happening right there. And Jesus said, oh, wait a minute, guys. My kingdom is not of this world. Okay, you guys just need to know that. I've come so that you can be saved. I didn't come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword and to divide. And we sing here pretty soon, peace on earth and mercy mild. Jesus came for nothing like that. He came to bring the truth. And he says, I've come to divide mother against father, uh, excuse me, mother against daughter, father against son, you know, son-in-law against mother, uh, father. He came to divide the families because what's going to happen is that those that truly genuinely believe that Jesus Christ is Messiah or Jesus is the Christ, they're going to give their life for it. Their lives are going to change. And it's going to cause conflict within families if it hasn't already. But Paul goes on to say that this message that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, talking about the Old Testament, the New Testament hasn't been written yet, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. The gospel message has always been about the good news because the bad news is that we are disobedient people, that we are so disobedient that we are destined for eternal damnation, that the, 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 the people of Israel were destined to fall away from God's grace. They were destined, and we are as well. We are born into sin. We are sinners by nature, and something has to happen. The bad news is that, that Jesus Christ is coming back again to reign in his kingdom, and God's wrath is going to be poured out on the disobedient. That's the bad news. And the disobedient, as good as they may be, they may have good intentions. They may say, well, you know, it's, uh, doesn't the Bible says that you're supposed to, you know, hate the sin, but love the sinner? You know, I, I, I honestly, I, I really don't care much for that phrase. It's, it's true. You love the sinner, you know, but, but it's unfortunate. That it's the sinner 
that God is going to send to hell if the sin isn't dealt with. Hate the sin, definitely. Love the sinner, but that's, again, not an excuse to live your life. Because when it comes down to it, God's going to ask you two questions. Number one, what did you do with my son? Well, you know, I went to that church and that pastor was just so negative. Or I went to that church and it was, they were very hypocritical. Or I went, God's going to say, well, you know, when they get here, I'll talk to them as well. As a matter of fact, I already talked to a few of them and they're not going to be in here. So don't worry about that. Number two, I'm talking to you. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Well, you know, it was just so confusing. Okay, maybe so, but what did you do? You see, it's the Holy Spirit that opens your heart. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. The Bible says in Ephesians, excuse me, in Isaiah 53, and we've gone through a long sermon on God's gospel, the gospel of God, according to God himself. In Isaiah 53, it spells it all out. On how Jesus Christ was persecuted. On how Jesus Christ was beat to a pulp. On he was unrecognizable. On how he redeemed the world. On how he did. And the Jewish people would not look at that portion of scripture. As a matter of fact, in many synagogues, I, I've come to find out that in places where Jewish people meet, they have what's called this liturgical reading that they read uh, this throughout the year. And they read part of the Pentateuch and they read part of their writings. And this portion, Isaiah 53, is hardly ever, if at all, included in their readings. Why that is? Now I can, I can understand why a lot of the Jewish people don't get Jesus Christ. Why their eyes are veiled and closed. But it says here, look at this. This is 800 years before Christ. He was pierced for our transgressions. This is 500 years before the crucifixion was even invented. The crucifixion wasn't even invented and it was by the Parthians and it was, it was come on over here, Papa. Come on, run, 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 quick. Here comes your daddy. Oh, too late. <laughs> Got grandpa. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Hey, stop bothering me, buddy. Uh, we'll talk later. <laughs> the crucifixion wasn't even invented until 500 years later, 300 years before Christ. The Parthians had had had, had learned it and, and invented it to show, you know, just to crucify people and to kill them, just to hang them off a post. It was the Romans who had perfected it to a science to cause the individual to suffer, to be able to be on display, to be humiliated. And here, 800 years before Christ, Isaiah is telling us he was pierced for our transgressions. If you look at the rest of Isaiah 53, actually you have to go up into 52 a little bit to see how he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The song, the last song we we sung a little while ago, uh, on Christ alone. And he was on the cross until the wrath of God was satisfied. God poured out his wrath that I deserve, that you deserve. The wrath of every sinful act of every believer was poured out on Jesus Christ. I mean, if it was just mine, if it was just my sin, if you knew my past, the things I've done, the places I've been, things I've seen, I seriously thought that there was no hope for me. I wanted my kids to go to heaven. I brought them to church until the pastor showed me. He says, hey, what about you? I says, I'm going to hell. I already knew I was going to hell. I don't want them to go. And he says to me, I don't want you to go either. And that's when I received Jesus Christ. I saw Jesus Christ and the grace that he had for me. But if it was just my, my sin alone, it would have been 
compounded on him heavily. Beloved, he took everyone's sin. Those that will believe and have believed. And he was, it was poured out. God's wrath upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And you understand this when you can understand that, you know, we are sinners. We're not people. We're not perfect people. Humanity, you know, humanists, the world will tell you, no, we're all good people. We just make bad decisions. Beloved, the Bible says, no, there's, none, there's no one good. Romans 3.10 says there's no one righteous. There's no one who seeks after God. You say, well, yeah, there's, I know people that are seeking for God. No, no, they're not. The Bible, I'll tell you right now, that that's, if the Bible says they're not, there's no one who seeks after God, I'm sorry, your friend, your beloved mother, whatever it is, brother, sister, spouse, they're not seeking God. That's what the Bible says. What they are seeking are the benefits of God. Of course, we all want peace in our life. We all want forgiveness in our life. We all want to be uh, our guilt removed, our shame taken away. Of course, we want that. If God can offer that, great. You know, none of us want to go to hell. No, we all want to go to heaven. As a matter of fact, every funeral, everybody goes to heaven. It's like the only requirement that you need to have is just to die. And you go to heaven. Without any thought, rhyme, or reason of what's happened in the past. The moment I sin, I say one word, a lie. You know, and, and I've said plenty in my life. I don't, I can count a few today. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, whenever I've used the Lord's name in vain, first of all, the Bible calls me a liar. If I use the Lord's name in vain, the Bible calls me a blasphemer. If I have an, uh, a, a thought, a thought that is just unholy and impure, uh, you know, against another woman. The Bible calls me an adulterer. If I'm ever mad at somebody and call my brother a raka or a fool and just really upset at him, the Bible calls me a murderer. And just right there, I'm a lying, blasphemous, adultery murderer. I'm not going to make it into heaven on my own. I am lost. I am doomed for this chastisement that Jesus Christ took. The wrath of God is being displayed throughout the universe, Paul says in Romans chapter 1. That God's wrath is being poured out already. And people are not willing to listen. And you know what God does? Is if you don't want to listen, well, I'll just, your heart's already hardened, I'll harden it some more. And I'll harden it some more. Not saying that the grace of God can't penetrate that. Because I know I was 30 years old and I had people come to me all the time. I'd make fun of them, push them around, beat a couple people up. Just, you know, get away from me. I like my life. Yeah, I like it. I like my sin. It's fun. I'm having a good time, man. Don't tell me that stuff. I don't want to hear that. An unbeliever doesn't want to hear that. But it came to a cross point in my life, and I recognized this. And this happened in a matter of weeks, I think. Finally, I just said, I got to do something. And I went to the closest church that I could find, and I I said, Pastor, help these kids. I'm leading them to hell. I want to help you. Because I can take the kids from you, and I can even put them in the church, but they're going to follow you. They're going to follow your footsteps. And so what ended up happening is that Jesus Christ took my sin and took it away from me. You see, this gospel message, number two, the gospel is received by faith. I knew this was going to happen today, by the way. I knew we were going to get through this because the gospel message is so clear. you got to know the bad news. The bad news is that we are sinners. 
And apart from Jesus Christ, God's wrath is upon us. I don't care how much of a good intention you have on how many good things you've done, on how many great things you have done, on what you've said and not said. You can be as moral as you can. You can be as good as you can. But unless Jesus Christ is at the center of your life, you must be born again. You must be born again. Look at this. Look at this with me. Uh, Paul says, when you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. See, this faith, this love comes to us from God himself. He's the one that gives it. Paul is thankful to God for their faith in Christ Jesus. And, and, and faith is always equated with obedience. You see, you just can't have faith and no obedience. It's both and. It's not one or the other. The, the Colossians, are not, you know, they weren't like the other people that didn't obey. Such people will face this terrifying experience of seeing Jesus Christ later on. But faith, what is faith? Number one, first faith, and this is in your outlines. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things to come. Faith. When the Bible talks about things to hope for, of hope, it's not saying like, oh, I wish it happens, or I hope it happens, or, you know, just by some chance it might happen. No, in the Bible, hope is always an expectation. It will happen. I have placed my hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ's righteousness. I build my hope, not that I wish I can be more like Jesus, but my expectation is that I build my life on Him. And through His Word, that's how I find it. Faith means to be persuaded uh, that something is true. It means that, uh, that, that it's more than just understanding it in your mind. It involves obedience. It involves you, your action. Faith, just can't, you just can't say, yeah, I have faith, yeah. You know, and, and we all have faith. We do. I mean, you jumped in your car this morning, I hope, and, uh, and, uh, and I pray that you, nothing happened on the way here. So far, we know that nothing's happened to the people that were, were coming here. Maybe, I don't know, we'll have to check with some of the families that aren't here. Give them a call, James. Oh, Richard Knight and those. Uh, but anyways, uh, you know, just make sure that everybody's okay. And, and we, we jump in our cars and hoping and praying. And, you know, I have faith that I'm going to get there. Even though I know the chances sometimes are, yeah, you know, am I, am I not? Because we know how people are driving. I'm sure you've been, had a lot of close calls. I'm sure you can give me a testimony of one that, you know, I should have been gone, Pastor. You live, you live as long as I have. You've seen quite a bit of stuff. And you have faith when you go to a restaurant after we're done here. You're going to order your double-double cheeseburger, whatever it is, go to a restaurant, order a steak. And you have faith that these cooks and everybody cook your food with excellence, right? That there's nothing wrong with it because the first thing you do is you just say, thank you, Lord, for this food. I hope you pray. <laughs> I hope you, because some of these restaurants, you better be praying a lot <laughs> before you get there. You ought to pray, Lord, is this the place you want me to eat at? I don't know. Got to have discernment there. But, you know, but you have faith. It's good. It's going to be good for you. You drive the roads. You eat at the restaurants with faith. And some of that, it doesn't build anything or take anything away from you. But the faith that this is talking about is an obedient faith. I believe. And then I go on forward. I, I, I keep going. The Bible says that this faith comes from God himself. This is not a faith that you have or that you can build up or that you can muster to get saved. Salvation is not something that you do. As a matter of fact, look at Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And the subject of this is faith. And this is why the next part is very important. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. But what Paul is talking about is the faith. This faith that you need 
God has to give it to you. Look at what, look what he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, oh, I thought that was just me, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, that describes me to a T. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. I was an ignorant unbeliever. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The grace of our Lord, grace, first and foremost, is not deserved. It is by grace that you're saved, through faith. Grace, God gives you, not because you deserve it, not because you earn it. The, the, the next verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you're saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Look what I did. God gave me salvation because I'm just a good guy. You know, I'm such a good, good person. Oh, beloved, there's no one good. You know, and, and some receive it and some don't. Some people say, well, that's, that's not fair. You want fair? Here's fair. Everyone goes to hell. That's fair. We've all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Fairness in God's economy we all end up destroyed with the wrath of God upon us. But by His grace, merely His grace, nothing that I did, nothing that I said, He poured His love and faith, faith and love, into me. And by grace of our Lord, overflowed for me with faith and love. That's faith. You see, look, in John 6, 44, Jesus is talking to, to, to the, the Pharisees. He says, you know, I, I want you guys to know something. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. People are not drawn to Jesus Christ unless God draws them. And when he draws you, your faith that he gives you leads you into obedience to obey. Look at the next verse in Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. Because he is the one that gives you the faith. Because he is the one that gives you the ability to respond. Because he gives you grace. Because he's the one that saves you. He's the one that's going to keep you. It's not what you do. He keeps you. You just keep walking forward in faith and in obedience. Be careful how you walk, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. Do not walk in the flesh. He says, but live by the Spirit. Do not walk by the flesh so you can gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You live by the Holy Spirit. You live by the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In John 3.36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. And this is in John chapter 3, verse 36. A lot of people get hung up on John 3.16. You see right there. Where is it right there? For, for, whoso loved, for God so loved the world that, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes, that's all I got to do is believe, I believe, I'm going to heaven shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I got everlasting life. I believe. I do. I really believe. They don't read the first part. In John chapter 3, by the way, it's the encounter that Jesus Christ is having with Nicodemus. And uh, Nicodemus comes up to Jesus and says, you know, Jesus, we know that you're a man come from God because no one can do the things that you do. And I use this verse sometimes during funerals because the question that Nicodemus didn't ask 
is the question that Jesus Christ answered. At a funeral, a lot of people are sitting in the pews, and the question that is being asked in their minds, and probably asked, you know, they'll ask different questions, but what really is in a person's heart and mind, you know, I wonder where that guy's going. What's going to happen to me when I die? And we all know that we're going to get to that point, And we avoid it. But Jesus responded to him, Verily, verily, twice. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth. That no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You got to be born again. How does that happen? Nicodemus says, you know, what am I supposed to enter my mother's womb again and come out? No, you got to be born by the spirit and water. You see, something supernatural has to happen in your life. Just like something supernatural happened when you were born, you had no idea, you had no work, and you had no contribution as to when you were going to be born. That was your mother and father. God ordained it for you to be born. He took their DNA and put it together and made you. You didn't have any control over who you were going to be born, how you were going to be born, when you were going to be born. And you were born. Spiritually speaking, that's the same thing that happens with God. I didn't know. I just knew that I was at the point where I, you know, I got to do something. And when God's grace showed up, I says, yes. I didn't harden my heart again. My heart melted. And both my wife and I, we knelt there and we prayed and, and we, we, we cried and we rejoiced. And it's been serving Jesus ever since. You must be born again. And uh, John 3.16 tells us that whoever... And then, God, for God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him... Well, first of all, you got to believe. And where does belief come from? Well, it comes from being born again. And where does that come from? Well, God gives you the faith. You know, follow me through on this logic. I mean, it's all over the scriptures. In Acts chapter 6, look at this. Uh, I don't know if it's up here, but in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. There was an active role. See, a lot of people say they believe. I'm going to tell you one thing right now. The Bible even says that the demons believe. They believe and they shudder. A story of Jesus crossing the river on a boat, excuse me, the lake on a boat, comes to the other side, there's a man. Matthew says one man, Mark says two men. And there was a man that was demon-possessed. He had many demons in him. They would chain him up and he would just break the chains and he would scar himself and he would cry out all kinds of things. And Jesus hadn't even gotten to the person, but he, but he approaches this demon-possessed man and this demon-possessed man runs to Jesus Christ and he bows down in worship and he says, what have you to do with us, son of the most high? Have you come to torment us before the appointed time? These demons believed. Number one, that they had their Christology right, that Jesus Christ is the son of God. They had their eschatology right. They're going to get tormented sometime in the future. And they know it's not right now. They knew who Jesus Christ was. They knew about him. They knew his power because they said, don't cast us out. If you're going to cast us out, cast us into that herd of pigs. There are a lot of people running around knowing who Jesus Christ is, knowing the power that he has, knowing that one day he's going to return, and knowing what he can do, yet it's not real saving faith. I call that demon faith. Deceit. And thinking that I'm a good person. I'm great. I'm good. And the bad news is that deception has crept into the church. I've shared this over and over and over again. I'll share it again in Matthew 24. Before anything happens, 
before the end comes. And many people are asking, but there's wars, there's rumors of wars, there's pestilence, there's earthquakes in diverse places. Is this the end time? The very first thing Jesus Christ says is, do not be deceived. Before anything else happens, he says, do not be deceived. Later on, he says, you know, there's going to be a deception. And then in verse 24, he says, you know, in Matthew 24, 24, he says, you know, and, and there's going to be such a big deception that even the elect could be deceived if it was possible. Deceive, deception, false prophets, false apostles. And they're going to deceive the church. And many people are going to follow these false visions and false prophets and not even looking at what the Word of God says. And many of these priests left their belongings and left their priesthood. That was a very big step for some of these people. And they became obedient to the faith. Romans 1.5 says, through, you, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. But has now been, in Romans 16.26, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. These demons, were they obedient? I don't know. This man, was he obedient? Yeah, he followed Jesus Christ. He wanted to follow Jesus Christ. He was cleansed. He was taken off. As a matter of fact, the demons, they uh, jumped into this, the, this herd of pigs and they all killed themselves over the cliff. That was the first instance of deviled eggs or deviled ham. Oh, come on, man. I've been waiting all week to share that with you. <laughs> I'm sure not waiting all week. All the way. Okay, never mind. No, thank you. <laughs> and this man wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus said, no, 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 you go back. Just go back and tell people what has happened. Share the good news. And people were just like, is this the same guy? Look at him. He looks cleaned up. No, that, that's a drug addict. I used to see him over on, on, on E Street, man. I'd see him over on E Street and Baseline. That's not the same guy. No, no, I know that guy. You know, I used to see that guy over in, in, uh, up, up in Barstow or, you know, I, I know that guy. That, that's Sal, man. I know that guy. That's not him. You know, he, he never wore a suit and tie. No, that's not, that's not him. Yeah. You change. Now, for people like me in the background I come from, and some of you, it's very dramatic. But for others that are very, you know, very good and moral, it's, it's not as dramatic. But there needs to be a change. It needs to be evident. See, James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? It's got to be obedient faith. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say in 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe. They have demon faith. And they shudder. Some people believe in God, they don't even shudder. Some people, yeah, oh yeah, it's no big deal. You know, God's going to take care of me. He's got my back. I'm good. You know, I'm going to do whatever it is that I want to do. And yeah, because at the end, God's going to save me because I believe. That's not, kind of, that's not the kind of obedience that people, that God wants to see. Obedience in the faith. And then James says in verse 26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This faith that God is offering you is a saving faith, is a faith that is going to transform your life. It should change your life. And if it hasn't, then something is wrong. Something is not working. Maybe maybe you were told, you know, that... uh, all you got to do is say the simple prayer and you're saved. Just go on and you're merry way. 
You know, maybe the pastor gave you a Bible. They even wrote the birth date when you gave yourself to Christ. He says, look, I, I did it. I'm right here. But my life is still the same. I'm still in the same sin, same in the same rut, the same attitude, the same actions, the same hatred, same anger, same jealousy. See, because some sins that are probably more powerful than drugs and, and alcohol are the internal sins of jealousy, of anger, of, of all this ugliness, of this things that are just holding on to you. Those sins are... You know, you can conceal them. You can walk around with a smiling face. You know, oh, I'm going to get that sucker. I'm going to poison his lunch. And I'm going to eat his lunch. Uh, you know, whatever the case may be. You see, this gospel message, number one, is good news because the bad news is dire. This world is going to hell because they're believing in themselves. The Bible says that at the end times, there's going to be a deception. People are going to fall away from the faith if they were even connected. Right now, there are many types of ministries that are taking people aside, taking people away by these pseudo-signs that they show. And this is what Paul has been addressing from the very beginning. He starts to address, number one, he says, you know, I want you to know that I've heard about your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it's spreading because the next three points we're going to have to cover next week, the gospel gives us hope. It only gives hope to believers. It doesn't give hope to the unbelievers. The unbelievers are wishing. We have an expectation. Number four, the gospel bears fruit, and it bears fruit in believers, not unbelievers. Unbelievers can make people, you know, do good things, but only a, a, not a believer can lead people to Jesus Christ where it has an impact in their life. And then the fifth thing we're going to talk about is the gospel is shared by believers. There are a lot of people that can say a lot of good things, but only a believer, a genuine believer, can share the good news. And it is your responsibility to do that. We'll talk about that next week. Because how are they going to hear? How are they going to hear if they're not sent? And how are they going to be sent? First of all, at the bottom of your outline in Romans 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Paul goes on to tell us a little bit later, we'll touch on that again next week, that faith we're going to bring it all the way back to the beginning. Saving faith, faith is by the word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. The moment that God sends you his word through his messenger, God will send you that faith. And your responsibility, my responsibility is to obey. See, the good news without the bad news is just, oh yeah, I've heard that before. But the good news, with the bad news, it puts you in a dire situation. Something has to give. Let me ask you to stand. You see, and this is why Paul was very excited about the church. He says, you know, he says, I, I always give thanks. I always give thanks when I think of you guys, when I pray for you. Since we heard of your faith, you know, you, this faith was genuine faith. You guys have changed. And I'll go over a little bit more about Coloss next week as far as the culture and what was going on there and, and just all the, all the stuff that goes on around that city. And in that city was this church, this little church. And, and Paul is addressing not only Coloss, but he's also addressing Laodicea and Hierapolis, which is another city. There's three cities there. But Laodicea is the church in the, uh, the book of Revelation. The last church that Jesus Christ talks about, you know, he says, you think you're, you think you got it all together. You think you're rich. You don't need my help, but you're poor. You're pitiful. You're naked. You're blind. 
a church that was deceived. And Paul is addressing Colossians, he's addressing us to keep our eye focused on Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, I want to thank you once again for the saving faith that you are sharing with us. I know many uh, of us here have faith, and we've placed our faith in a lot of things, in so many things. However, Lord, we need to place our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that as your good news is being proclaimed, that we understand why it's good, because of the bad news. God is holy. And Lord, we need to give ourselves totally to Him and obey Him. And I pray, Father, for each one that is within the sound of my voice to be able to hear this. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy that you displayed upon us. Thank you, Father, for just loving us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our wickedness and sin. So, Father, dismiss us now from this place, but never from your presence, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says... Amen. I'm going to be here for just a moment up here if you'd like to come up for a word of prayer. And uh, just come on up.